You are listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickaruk, episode 35. Hello, teacher brain. Today is October 10th, also known as World Mental Health Day, an important day at Teaching Little Brains for sure. Now, a quick internet search results in some pretty scary statistics about the mental health of our world, and especially our youth. In Canada, findings show that by the age of 40, as many as one in two people have or have had a mental illness, and that 70% of those illnesses begin in childhood or adolescence. Children as young as two to five years old are displaying symptoms concerning enough to their parents to seek professional support, and 17% meet the diagnostic criteria of a mental illness. Two to five-year-olds. Clearly something is going on and we need to learn, reflect on, and adjust our understanding and actions around mental wellness. And I've told this story before about, about the kind of genesis of teaching little brains how it began with some neat brain tricks I learned, but then quickly evolved beyond that with the implications for mental wellness. And the catalyst for that was the, the many instances of disturbing behavior I was witnessing in some of our youngest learners at school. And they were in crisis. People, kids were bolting from their classrooms, throwing furniture, destroying classrooms, hitting others, including staff and educators, engaging in the most hateful self-talk I've ever heard, heartbreaking. But equally important were those who were visibly disengaged, kind of zombieing their way through the day and sliding under the radar. And the final straw was my learning about a local 10-year-old girl who had committed suicide. And that incident came as a shock to me because I didn't realize at the time how sadly common this is. And I'm a bit torn over sharing this information. On one hand, I don't want to perpetuate the fear and like use scare tactics. But on the other hand, awareness is so very important and has made me more conscious and conscientious about my thoughts, actions, focus, and interaction with others, especially the young people. And I hope that it has the same effect for you. And I've linked a couple sources in the show notes if you want to find more for yourself. But while these are Canadian statistics and data, um, the pattern is very similar everywhere. So we're almost everywhere. In Canada, suicide is the ninth leading cause of death overall, but the second leading cause amongst children ages 10 to 19 and adults aged 20 to 29 as well. Now, for every suicide death, there are five self-inflicted injury hospitalizations, 25 to 30 attempts, and 7 to 10 people profoundly impacted by the suicide loss. So thinking of those, maybe you've had a student in your class or, or children of friends or something who've witnessed or discovered a parent committing suicide. That's a huge impact on their mental health. And it's important to remember that, that suicide is an extreme measure taken by some people living with some kind of mental illness. Um, and one of the most important factors to examine, in my opinion, within that data is that 28% of students report not knowing where to turn when they want to talk about their mental health. And five out of six of the children with a mental illness will not receive the treatment they need. Those are important statistics to remember. 
Along my learning journey, with all the brain hacks, neuropsychology, neuroscience, energy medicine, quantum physics, and even the entrepreneurship, marketing, and program design stuff, I kept hearing over and over things like, I didn't learn this in school. It wasn't until I, you know, either had a big crisis or had a big epiphany that I began studying about this. And um, stuff like, you know, when I was a kid, I was so into insert chosen passion here and I just kind of lost it you know and other people said they were I was doing what I went to school for um, what I was trained in and I was super successful meaning I was making lots of money and moving up the ladder but I was miserable and unhealthy and I thought what is happening why are we not learning this stuff in school how are we not even able to remember what lit us up as kids Why do we have to look all the way back to our childhood for a clue about what our passions were? How have we lost our purpose? And what can I do about it? And I thought, if only people knew about this stuff and had these tools that they could apply in real time so that they're not looking back to their childhood from their adulthood, spending thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours in therapy trying to tap into what made them happy when they were young so they could feel a sense of joy again and rediscover their passion and purpose. Someone should teach this in school, but who? <laughs> it's like I'm friends when Chandler is waiting for some, something to sink in for Joey and he says like, get there faster. And I was like, oh, I know, I can teach this. (laughs) So hence the podcast you're currently listening to and the Facebook group I started and the page, et cetera, et cetera. And then I found someone who had the same passion and purpose as I do. And as you know, I have joined forces with Julia Black in Lights On and together we're, we're doing some of this incredible work to help support families and children and educators engage in passion-driven learning with their lights on. Um, I also got certified as a neuro coach through Dr. Shannon Irvin and an RMM practitioner through the Energy Alliance. And with all of that, I have learned many, many fascinating and illuminating facts and perspectives which I have been sharing with you every week here and hope that you're benefiting from them too. And um, I've been passing them along. So we know from this that our two most powerful emotion drivers, emotional drivers are number one, finding connection and number two, avoiding rejection. And at the core of everything, it all comes down to three core basic needs that we all as humans have. We want to know that we are safe, we are loved, and we are worthy. To the point where all of the problems or issues that we have can be traced back to the lack of fulfillment in one or more, but usually one of these areas. And what causes that lack of fulfillment? It's simply our thought or belief that we are not enough. I'm not good enough to be worthy. I'm not good enough to be safe. I'm not smart enough to, you know, add value. It all comes down to that one simple thing. So have you ever caught yourself thinking something like, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough or I'm not strong enough or I just don't have, I just don't know enough about that or who am I to do that? No one's going to listen to what I have to say. Why would anyone want me to teach that? Or I'm no expert. I could never do what so-and-so does. So know what's at the root of all those thoughts and make no mistake, 
They are only thoughts. When you dig down into those thoughts, they all trace back to the belief, I am not enough. And when we question our values and worth, we believe that we are not enough. And what makes us question our value and worth? Well, pretty much everything. (laughs) Like, remember, your brain is wired to keep you safe. And to do that, it is always looking for threats and what can go wrong. It leverages its negativity bias to do this. So everything that crosses your mind has to first be filtered through your amygdala for signs of danger. So your brain's first line of defense is to ward off threats by searching for them everywhere. And way back when, these threats came in the form of tigers and other predators lurking in the bushes. Today, we're talking about threats to our social safety. So just as in the cave days, our brain perceives isolation or rejection from the group as a threat to our survival. So we are literally dying to be accepted by the group. So when you're, when you're picked up last, when you're picked last for the team or excluded from the guest list of the social event of the year or stood up by a friend or a date, your brain freaks out. Now, as adults, we have, or at least if you're an avid listener of this podcast, you will have the wherewithal to apply logic and reasoning and empathy and other tools to reflect on the situation and understand that there are other factors likely involved. And then it doesn't mean anything about you or your worth as a human that you didn't get invited to the party. However, that takes work. And in the brains of our not yet fully developed prefrontal cortex youth, that social exclusion is literally and figuratively taken to heart. When a group of popular kids doesn't include you in the game, let you in on a secret, pick you for the team, or invite you to the party, as a 0 to 25 year old, that can have dire consequences to your self-esteem, sense of self-worth and connection to the group, and can send you into a downward mental spiral. Your reticular activating system then goes haywire, showing you all the quote-unquote evidence of the times that you were once again excluded, rejected, and isolated. And without the tools to effectively and productively manage that, you're left convinced that you're just not enough and never will be. So where does this idea come from? And what do I mean when I say not enough? Well, a psychologist named Leon Festinger developed the social comparison theory in 1954 which stem from the idea that individuals determine their own social and personal worth, personal worth, based on how they stack up against others. Now, Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. You may have heard that before. However, like with most things in life, there is an upside and a downside to social comparison. So people who regularly compare themselves to others may find motivation to improve. When we compare ourselves upward to those whom we perceive as having a higher level of success in whatever area that we deem desirable, that can give us inspiration and motivation to direct our action toward achieving a similar result. Upon observing their success and following their journey, we begin to believe that it is that that if this person can achieve that, then maybe we can too. For example, imagine that uh, a high school student has just signed up for a band class to learn how to play the clarinet. 
And as she evaluates her skills and progress, she will compare her performance to other students in the class. So she might initially compare her abilities to the other members of the clarinet section, noting who are better than her as well as who are worse. And she may compare her abilities to those um, of students who play other instruments as well, using their level of aptitude as her benchmark for where she falls. And if she finds that her abilities do not measure up to her peers' talents, she might be driven to achieve more and improve her abilities. It's like, um, have you ever joined a gym or a workout class or support group or accountability group? So studies have shown that this type of friendly competition is highly effective in pushing people to exercise more. As peers push each other to keep up and do more, it's kind of like this like social ratchet effect. So you go up, they go up, you go up, they go up. So each person's activities generates more activity among others. And interestingly, the same effect is not achieved through simply like giving supportive emotional encouragement. So when you see other people doing it, you're more likely to do it too. On the flip side, when social comparison, while social comparison can motivate people to improve, it can also make us feel bad when we make the error of only comparing ourselves to the, um, and I learned a new word here, apotheosis, which means the epitome or the personification or paragon, another new word, of certain traits, like the example of perfection of that trait. For example, many people believe that they have a less active social life than others. And often this comparison happens when we, when we look at like celebrities, right? So we feel like we have a less active social like life than other people. But when we're making such comparisons, we only tend to compare ourselves to the most social people we know, which is insane. So, <laughs> but it's, it's the comparison bias, it's called. And in the entrepreneurship world, I have recently dipped my toe into, there is a common saying, don't compare your raw footage to someone else's highlight reel. Or don't compare your beginning to someone else's finish line. Don't compare your step one to someone else's step 100. In other words, as you take your first guitar lesson, while it may be inspiring to watch a master at play, notice if you're feeling discouraged or inadequate because you are not yet able to riff with such ease. So remember, every master started right where you are at step one. Or as Harry Potter said, every great wizard in history started out as nothing more than we are now, students. If they can do it, why not us? So why do we do this to ourselves and where is it most prevalent? Well, I bet you can guess. Where does social comparison come from? Where does it come up for you? You guessed it, social media. Social media. Speaking of highlight reels, hello, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, we're all tricked by those posts on these places, left, right, and center. Even the people we personally know and we know are juggling all kinds of struggles. <laughs> when they post their beautiful pics on Insta, we think, well, they must have sorted it all out. Or they totally duped us into thinking their life was hard. Look at how incredible these pictures are, right? Like, it's so crazy. 
70% of Canadians are on social media. That's higher than the average voting rate. And on average, Canadians spend around two hours a day scrolling through it. And youth, much longer. High social media use has been linked to anxiety, depression, and stress. In fact, reports show that 10 to 12-year-olds who spend just the average of two hours a day on social media have higher levels of anxiety, depression, and more and more frequent suicidal thoughts. Why? Now, I'm not saying social media is in itself a bad thing. In fact, as brain experts now, you know that it's not. It's neither bad nor good. Its existence is completely neutral. It's not Instagram that's causing anxiety or depression. It's the lens through which we are viewing and interpreting what we see on Instagram and using as a benchmark to compare ourselves that triggers our thoughts and beliefs that we are not enough, that these people have it all together, and that we are a complete and total disaster. I'm not traveling as much as everybody else. My house is not as clean as theirs. My kids are not as well behaved. I don't have a big fancy job and I can't take extravagant vacations like she can. And then we internalize that and we make it mean something about our worth and value as human beings. It's just crazy. A couple of weeks ago was National Daughter's Day. How do I know this? Because the day after that, I was on Facebook and I saw all the gorgeous pictures of parents and their daughters together and read tons of posts about the love and relationships they enjoy together. And my first thought was, oh my God, I am the worst mother ever. How could I miss International Daughters Day? Well, I missed it because that day I had made a commitment to turn off my phone, disengage from my computer after school so that I could spend tech-free quality time with my family because one of my affirmations and commitments is that I am a present and patient mother. Or maybe it was the evening that I had a coaching call and I had to work all evening and aside from a quick hug and kiss after school and a snippet at story time, I was not with her at all that night. The point is, it doesn't matter. The fact that I did not post a picture and an inspiring quote on Instagram or Facebook does not make me the worst mother ever, nor does it make me the best mother ever. It doesn't mean anything about me as a human being that I was not present on social media that day or any day. But... Do you want to know? It took me a few days, like probably three or four days of real back and forth pondering, low level anxiety over posting belatedly or not. Oh my God, people will think I don't love her. She will think I don't love her, which is utterly ridiculous because A, she's six and not on social media and B, and well, she knows probably too well how much I love her because I tell her all the time. (laughs) I hear all the time, okay, okay, mom, I know how much you love me. And B, my mom didn't post that day. And I certainly don't believe that it's any sort of reflection of her love. Like it's crazy. So after doing some work on myself, I made the conscious decision not to post about International Daughters Day at all. And I was fine. Now, it's weeks later, does it matter? Not a single iota. 
And if that is me, a 43-year-old woman who has done a ton of brain work and personal development and who understands what is going on in my brain and how to use it, imagine what is happening in the minds of the little brains we know who don't yet have that expertise or ability or even the physical brain makeup to process that properly. That is how social comparison can influence mental health. Have you ever heard of FOMO? FOMO stands for a fear of missing out. Social comparison, mostly through social media, stimulates this fear in us. And and we have a biological response when we can't participate. So as Teaching Little Brain listeners, you know that our thoughts create our feelings, which are vibrations in our body. Like on a cellular level, we feel FOMO. It creates social anxiety. You're missing potential connection, event, or social activity. Remember how important these things are to your brain. Have you ever considered deactivating from social? You are not alone. Most people have considered deactivating their socials, but report that FOMO is the number one reason why they don't, or the only reason why they don't. Like try it out just for a day. Heck, try it for a couple of hours, two hours away from your phone or whatever chosen device, but leave your notifications on, leave the sound on, notice what happens. Are you anxious, stressed, unfocused? What if it dings and I don't get it? What if I miss an invitation or someone finds out something four seconds before I do? It's like an addiction. Is it making you shake already? People go through withdrawal symptoms when they deactivate from socials. And actually in a very real way, it can be an addiction for a lot of people. It's reported that people with mental illness are twice as likely to have a substance use problem compared to the general population. And researchers liken the addiction to social media to that of a physical substance. The question here is though, what comes first? Now, conversely, when we compare ourselves downward to those we perceive as being not as far along as we are on the this imaginary success scale we have created in our brains, we can get an inflated sense of self, an arrogant and obnoxious self-righteousness if we aren't careful. We feel better about ourselves when we compare to those who have or do or know less than we. So while some comparisons can leave us feeling less than and inadequate, others can provide a confidence boost, um, artificial or real, the motivation to pursue a dream or enhanced self-esteem. So it can be complex. (laughs) So as with everything, awareness is the first step. Understanding the bias we have with our social comparison can help us make more positive and motivating comparisons, the ones that inspire us to take action and continue striving for progress and success. So you know that everything starts with a thought. So start noticing your thoughts when you hear about what other people are doing or getting or having as you scroll through social media feeds. If there's any so if they're, if they're negative thoughts, which there will be, use your tools. Listen back to episode two and three. Remember that you get to choose the thoughts you hold on to and the things that you believe because you are the boss of your brain, not the other way around. Today is a great day to start as Mental World Health Day. 
And if you listen to this episode and it is not Mental World Health Day, notice if you got a shot of FOMO and know that it doesn't mean that you've missed out, that you can't do any of these things, nor does it mean anything about your worth as a human being. So what are you going to do to take care of your mental health today? If you're not sure, I have a a quick list of things that you can try. Try one or more of these to start. Get outside in nature, even for 10 minutes. Stand or walk barefoot in the grass. Write down 10 things you're grateful for. We know what gratitude does for our wellness. Write a card or message to someone to tell them three wonderful things about them and make a similar list about yourself. Floss your teeth. Celebrate something, big or small. Start with something tiny. Get some exercise. Move your body for 30 minutes. Listen to your favorite song. Dance. Give someone you love that's in your bubble a hug. Laugh. We did an episode, I did an episode on laughter last week. Listen to that one. Um, Do or play something you love. Drink lots of water. Take four slow, deep breaths through your nose. Listen to a guided meditation. Daydream about a place you would love to go in beautiful detail. I did an episode on um, creativity and imagination. And it's so important. Spend 30 minutes reading a book. Write down some of your favorite inspiring quotes and or affirmations. Stand in front of a mirror. Look yourself in the eye and put your hand on the mirror so that your hand is touching your reflection's hand. Tell your human that you love her or him. Say it again. Tell your human that failing, that you love her or him no matter what. Tell you, your human, that you love you when you are angry, frustrated, anxious, failing, thriving, no matter what. Repeat three to five of your favorite affirmations to yourself. And I do this standing in a power pose in front of the mirror like Wonder Woman or Superman. Raise your hands above your head. It elevates your mood. Step away from social media for an hour or two. Do a puzzle. Eat some brain healthy foods, avocados, blueberries, broccoli, walnuts, leafy greens, dark chocolate, etc. And tap. The free five day tapping course is back starting Monday, October 26. So I'll put the link in the show notes so you can register for that. Or if you want more information about tapping, you can message me directly. Listen to the Teaching Little Brains podcast. (laughs) Go back and listen to some more episodes. There are lots of brain healthy tips in there for you. Share some of the things that you're going to do today to care for your mental health. Today and every day. I'd love to hear what you do. We want to learn more. Tag me on the socials while you're scrolling (laughs) at teaching... dot little dot brains on insta teaching little brains on facebook the links are all in the show notes below thank you so much for joining me again today i appreciate you so much you have been listening to the teaching little brains podcast with sarah nicarak until next week know that you are worthy you are important you are loved you are safe and you are enough Bye for now.